On the Empire Podcast this week, James McAvoy gets filthy talking about filth, while Saoirse Ronan discusses lightsabers and nuclear bombs. Hey, it's an atonement reunion. We're going to need a green dress and some naughty words typed out. We also talk about sexy movie stars, the Hobbit trailer, this week's news and reviews, and much more in the only movie podcast that worries about the prospect of a zombie apocalypse during the US government shutdown. Hello, Pod. I'm Helen O'Hara, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm doing my very best impression of Gwyneth Paltrow in Contagion, by which I mean, of course, that I'm jet set about in fabulous clothes. <coughs> it's nothing to worry about, guys. Chris Hewitt is, as you may have guessed, still off on holiday this week. He assures us he's swimming with sharks, but our beloved editor, Mark, swears blind he didn't dump Chris into the office shark tank, so we're not sure that's true. Joining me this week are three of the finest film journalists to wander into the net snare I set up in the office kitchen. First up is Ali Plum, a man who has forgotten more about Breaking Bad than most people will ever know. How's your meth, Ali? 99% non-existent amazing only 99% non-existent okay Uh, next is a man who spent last week visiting Yosemite but didn't meet a single crazed cowboy called Sam it's Nick DeSemlin hello how you doing I didn't meet a single uh, crazed bear either I was disappointed there are 500 bears in that park and not one of them had the decency to come out and shake its paw at me that is outrageous Mm -hmm. I'd ask for your money back and last but not least is an occasional visitor to these shores it's the master of the metropolitan line the baron of the 11 o'clock banana the fewer of features it's Dan Jolin wait no it isn't during tonight's performance the part of Dan Jolin we played by James Dyer because because Dan is stuck on the train right yes we apologise for this Dan cannot be present today because he's stuck on a train and whinging via his iPad let's just get it out of the way imagine Dan we're here so colostomy incision ball bag is this the most upsetting game of Mallet's Mallet ever? What, what's happened? This is just Dan Jolin bingo. And what else might you say? Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan, my personal friend, Christopher Nolan. And Nolan, Nolan, Nolan. finally... Banana. Sil- time. Silent running. Mm. Terry Gilliam. All right, good. Brazil. There we go. Dan good is job. covered off. Okay, as ever, we kick off with your questions, comments and death threats. At Tim Batman asks... Potential film-themed theme park ideas. He suggests Lord of the Rings would have a Nazgul Beast ride, uh, Ent World, and Return of the King ride with three or four fake endings. I love the Ent World. I'm really keen on the Ent World. <laughs> Just walking through a forest, but you don't know which tree will suddenly start talking to you and shake its beard in your face. We've already talked about Jurassic Park Park. Oh yeah, Jurassic Park Park, yeah. So tune into a previous podcast to hear that one. Uh, Phil, who also can't be here, wanted me to mention that Desolation of Smaug has the barrel sequence in The Hobbit, so he was suggesting that that should be some kind of log flume ride yeah, where you miniaturise yourself, grow a big beard and jump into a barrel and possibly get killed. So I'm I'm totally up for that. My big idea is Nolan World. Uh, we've already mentioned him, but I think, you know, the Inceptor, you know, three levels. Um <laughs> You have to queue for all the rides after you've been on them. Yes. And you get followed around by a creepy man. <laughs> it's, it's a win-win. And the hotels at the park have, you know, 24-hour daylight so you can't sleep. Like insomnia. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm in favour of the Hobbit world idea. I think it'd be good. I think you'd queue for three hours watching people have breakfast then get bored off your tits and go home. So <laughs> that'd be nice. Empire does not endorse this view. <laughs> I would like to mention, just to be a little bit perverse here, you know in a... Thought Park and others, you have those scare walkthroughs. Yep. There should be a Woody Allen lobster scare zone where you just walk through and there are just loads of lobsters and you just freak out over the course of two minutes. Could I just jump in and say, they're really upsetting, those things are. We had an Empire field trip to Thought Park a few years ago and we went on the Saw experience 
and they just hire jobbing actors to run around screamingly and fondle you while it's, it's really really horrible and we met someone uh, coming out of that who claimed that they'd been in therapy after going on a similar thing like actual therapy well, after you, being on it and then they they went on this and they I was about to say why were they going on another I one? don't know they, they said they're probably going to go back for more therapy That's just a aversion therapy maybe to get over it I, I was at the end of that snake and my bum got squeezed more than it's ever <laughs> been squeezed ever that may be the greatest single thing that's ever been said on this podcast thank you thank you thank you I was going to suggest the Malik experience it would basically be I mean it's basically a field I'll be honest but you walk through it It, no it's a field and you walk (laughs) through it and you trail your hand in the grass but it's always sunset and it looks beautiful and they let people on every 10 years and then stop no yes basically but also you know the, the experience lasts two and a half hours and you're not allowed to leave the field Hey, there would be a dinosaur. To Hobbit world. There would be a dinosaur. There would be a dinosaur. I've got two final uh, great ideas. Uh, one of them is it's a small World War Z after all. <laughs> Good. Which is just singing zombies. Um, everyone loves those. And uh, finally, the True Romance coaster, which is just a roller coaster, but Bronson Pinchot gets on and you have to negotiate a drug deal with him wow. as you do the ride. But yeah, he'd probably uh, not want to do that. Will there be hot girls in kind of neon green bras? Oh, yeah. Moving on. Next question. Speaking of hot girls. At Ian T. James asks, Is it just me that finds it a bit weird that Emma Watson was voted sexiest actress in the Empire poll? Uh, this is, of course, the news that we put up this week, our uh, sexiest movie stars of 2013 poll, as voted for by you. The top woman was Emma Watson, and the top male was Benedict Cumberbatch. So what did we make of the poll? Well, she clearly used magic to, uh, to get number <laughs> one. Did she have a big fan base I'm not aware of? I think some of her films have a little bit of a fan base. I can't think which ones. It must be Perks of Being a Wallflower. The first time I met Emma Watson, she was 10, so I did not vote for her. It's important that you all know that. I agree, to answer your question, it is slightly weird. Mm. Unfortunately, because of this whole mortality thing, every day you live adds to the collection of days you've lived, and in this process, I still can't get my head around it, you grow up. What? Yeah, okay, so that has happened not just to us mortals, but to Emma Watson too. So it means that though a time in the past she was 10 years old she now isn't I don't understand I'm really not following I watched, this I watched The Philosopher's Stone the other day and that doesn't seem to be the case <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a magical mystery only she can explain uh, but yeah I, I love the Benedict Cumberbatch one yeah. not that I love Benedict Cumberbatch necessarily he's a lovely bloke but I just felt that it's great that he obviously has this huge fan base and you know no offence Benedict but I feel that maybe Brains won over Brawn this time around somebody described his face as looking like a Looking like a foot, which I think is very unkind, but also slightly brilliant. Can um, the people who voted for him please watch Starter for Ten again? I'm just saying. <laughs> just going to give a quick shout out to my mum. Hi, mum. Uh, she calls Benedict Cumberbatch Clutterback. Um, no matter <laughs> how many times I correct her. No, no. Yeah. She just thinks no, he's just called think. Clutterback. If you want to find him very attractive, rewatch Four Lines, where he plays a police negotiator wearing a, I promise you this is true, a skull cap, like this weird beanie hat, skull cap, and has a mangier, more ginger beard than even I have. And he keeps going, Wadge! Wadge, calm down, Wadge. Wadge, it's not quite as sexy as you want him to be. Rubber dingy rapids, bro. Yeah, it's essentially that conversation. He's talking about Alton Towers. It's all coming together, these questions. Wow, they are all... Oh, you would think we planned this out, and we really, really didn't. Yeah, I'm I'm pleased with the sexiest poll as well. I think it speaks very well of our readers that both of the... Uh, top place people are essentially geniuses uh, at least on screen and and let's face it probably off screen as well Um, and uh, you know it just goes to prove that brains sometimes do have a place so that's nice Um, next question at Dave VZLA Vizsla Vizsla hey guys after the end of Breaking Bad what is your favourite character Breaking Bad in film Scrappy in the live action adaptation of Scooby Doo just what an arc you know really really (laughs) 
Never liked that kid. No, we should say we, we recorded a Breaking Bad spoiler podcast. We're not going to spoil the final episode or indeed the series at all here. We have done that already in the Breaking Bad spoiler podcast where we discussed it at length and in depth. Uh, so do please go and listen to that if you have already seen Felina, the final episode. If not, avoid it at all costs and go and watch Breaking Bad instead. But to get back to the question, I mean, a lot of people compare Breaking Bad to The Godfather, which would seem to be an, an apt comparison. And certainly if we're talking about somebody gradually going to the dark side on film, that would seem to be you know, pretty much the definitive one for me. There's Anakin Skywalker, which isn't my favourite, but I think bears mention at least. It's funny, you mentioned Godfather and, and Breaking Bad. Uh, you'll notice that Vince Gilligan is a huge Godfather fan as well as a huge Scarface fan, and there's often in dangerous moments oranges dropped. For example, when someone headbutts the side of a breakfast table, some oranges fall on his head afterwards. So mm. there's a top tip for you there. Ah. Ah. I think Goodfellas, I mean, was he that good to begin with? You can't obviously can't say Scarface because he, he's horrible right from, <laughs> right from the start when you meet him. He, he's completely horrible. Yeah, I, I, I suppose Goodfellas kind of works as a Breaking Bad type thing. Uh, also, anything Sean Bean has ever been, uh, including GoldenEye and, of course, Lord of the Rings. Good one. Breaking mm. Boromir. Breaking Boromir. <laughs> Very good. And does face-off count? Not really. No. I'd, I'd maybe stump Travis Bickles, possibly one that, that, uh, that kind of springs to mind, or possibly Harvey Dent. Sorry, and Sorry again, to ruin that film for everyone. Bringing it back to Nolan. Um, at Red Flost asks, uh, we're staying on the same subject for a minute, after Breaking Bad has now ended, what are your top five TV finales? Not, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make a five out Ooh. of this. If we're talking end of the show completely, not just season finales, because there are many, many great season finales. Yes, this has to be show finales. But show finales, and that's a much more difficult thing because many, many shows that start off great, by the time they actually finish are less great than they once were. Very I can, true. I can immediately list off the top of my head my five worst, like Seinfeld and... Pell. Immediately we must <laughs> add Dexter to that list. And Dexter. And, but we were talking mm. on the Breaking Bad Spoiler Indeed podcast we about The Shield, so let's put that one the in The Shield bag. is definitely... Uh, that's one of my favourite all-time finales. I think it's absolutely genius. The, the, the finale to MASH as well is absolutely yeah. legendary. That is the um, highest rated finale of any TV show ever indeed. with 103 million Breaking Bad got 10.3. It's it's funny how things seem like a bigger deal when you're in them, but compared yeah. to MASH, wow. Yeah. Uh, the final episode of The West Wing, I think, is incredibly touching as well, uh, which ends with him in the, on the plane flying back to his home in New Hampshire, which is lovely. Yeah. Although I think a lot of my emotion in that one was just like, there's never going to be any more West Wing. How Admittedly. am I going to cope? Admittedly. I, I haven't got there yet, but what's the final Gilmore Girls like? Uh, it's good, um, but not quite up there. For me, I, I would actually mention Quantum Leap. Um, this is a bit of a, yes. of a a bit of a dividing episode. Some people don't love it, but I love think it. it's absolute genius. Which is basically that he decides to keep going and never go home, and that destroyed oh, me. Mm. I'm going to add Six Feet Under and mm. uh, representing Blighty Blackadder. If you don't count the wretched back and forth, we I, don't. I love the Christmas uh, special actually, where that's kind of like a Breaking Bad type thing, where uh, it's a reverse Christmas Carol. Blackadder starts good, <laughs> turns bad by the end after. <laughs> being visited by the ghosts but yeah goodbye but yeah 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 just going going over the top yeah the end end of Blackadder goes forth absolutely I'll throw in Faulty Towers for the simple reason that it's not what I would call a finale in any way shape or form but the fact is they stopped and that's the most important thing You've got 12 phenomenally good episodes and they didn't make any more and I give them respect just for that. What about The Office? Because that's trundling along. We've already discussed his, you know, David Brent's music video and stuff like that. Like, did did that end in terms of episodes well for you guys? I, I thought they could have done without the Christmas special. I thought if they just finished it uh, after the two seasons uh, without bunging in the Christmas special, possibly it would have made that a top five, but... 
the other thing is that you've got some shows which you think are they over could that be the final finale like Luther is that over yeah it's not over it's not well, they've said they, they might probably will possibly could continue it as a film so that's deliberately not but, been but that's you know, a prequel uh, is that what they were saying so they're making the calling into they're a film they're making the calling yeah. into a film yeah uh, it's a horrendously upsetting book but very good um, but then he's written a new one called The Burning I believe so uh you know, endless potential there. I know there's lots of things. I mean, a lot of sitcoms. The final Seinfeld, I thought, was all over the shop. Dreadful. The, the final Friends was, yeah, all right. To it was be honest, fine. Didn't really, it was fine. I think that was it. It was fine. I must confess, I've not actually seen the final Seinfeld. I stopped before the final season. Just Are you kidding I've, me? I've heard so much, so many bad things. I just thought, why do I want to ruin? Well, as with anything Seinfeld, that it's patchy when it wants to be. But in the final season, there are about three or four episodes which are okay. That's fantastic. But the final episode, which had Larry David come back from retirement to re, you know, write this final thing, just sees them sitting around in the uh, holding cell at a at a court in, in some backwater place, and it's just not Seinfeld, even though it was written by the man or who co-created it. If we're talking uh, disappointing finales, which I know we're not meant to be, but no, no, I have to mention the X-Files because uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we're, we're going to be doing a big X-Files celebration on the website in the next uh, couple of weeks, which you'll want to check out if you, if you love the X-Files. But that final episode, which is essentially a courtroom case, <laughs> which I, I had while I was watching the X-Files, I was so into it and I, at one point, and I, I had this image in my head of what the finale was going to be and like a huge action scene in the Pentagon and stuff, and it turned out to be some people sitting in a room, and I was so disappointed, and I really hope they get to correct that. If there's one thing I remember Act Files for, it's definitely people sitting in a room. So. Yeah. Uh, well, it just turned into the practice towards the end, which incidentally actually did have a good final episode. Uh, though it's spin off Boston Legal. I don't know. I don't want to spoil. You know what? It's been on for a while. Boston Legal ends with James Spader and uh, and uh, Bill Shatner getting married, uh, which is actually, <laughs> it's it's a ludicrous show from the get-go, but it descends into just total hallucinogenic madness towards the end. Uh, and that's, uh, I think that's just the perfect way to end that show. It was great. Danny Crane. Danny Crane. We've really gone to town on this question. I'm glad we have but just to just jump back to Six Feet Under is a show that I feel is slightly forgotten uh, in terms of finales that is like it really gave what people deserved uh, to paraphrase the final song Baby Blue uh, of Breaking Bad it is it really does it well and it's kind of again like Breaking Bad what people expected what people wanted and kind of really delivered it both barrels this is the thing though and I think the most important thing with TV finales is that the showrunners, the characters and the viewers need to feel that they've earned the finale and that they've got the finale that they deserve and that's something that doesn't always pay off and I think The Sopranos is a good example of something where I don't know quite what Chase was trying to do and he certainly won't shed any light on the fact but it, it's, a, it's an episode that you know, you could argue is, is, is quite clever, is quite sort of open-ended, has lots and lots of layers to it. But given the final series of that show, you haven't earned that. I mean, the most of the show is about, you know, Vito making muffins out in the boondock somewhere. It's ridiculous. And I just think by that point, that whole, that whole season had kind of tailed off to the point where this show needed to kind of rally from that. And I don't think it did in that final episode. I think I've gone off on a, on a tangent here slightly because that annoys me so much. But let's, let's move on. You can't see it, but the podcast has just faded to black. Yeah. Okay, that's all the is questions. Is Nick or is Nick not dead? Who knows? Hey, I'm not, am I? He's not dead, right. Okay, that's all our questions for this week. As ever, you can drop us a line on Twitter where we are at Empire Magazine and please use the hashtag Empire Podcast or we won't see it. You can email us at podcast at empireonline.com or get in touch on Facebook where we are, unoriginally, Empire Magazine. 
On to our first interview of the week now. Um, Saoirse Ronan broke onto the screen as Brienne in Atonement, where she spent an idyllic summer in the English countryside during which she inadvertently ruined lives with an ill-placed accusation. Now she's starring in How I Live Now, where she spends an idyllic summer in the English countryside during which she, um, well, she has to survive a nuclear war. She should probably holiday elsewhere, is what we're saying. Ali and myself quizzed her about the film, how to pronounce her name, and those Star Wars rumours. Welcome to a special edition of the Empire Podcast. We are joined today by Sir Sharon and welcome. How Thanks are you doing? very much. I'm good. Excellent. I'm good. A little jet lagged. I'm guessing. A little yeah, I'm a bit jet lagged. I was just saying that um I came back from LA a few days ago and I'm all over the place. Don't know where I am, don't know which way's up and down. Well, that's not gonna be helped by the finale <laughs> of Breaking Bad, which uh, you haven't seen, but I was gonna ask no. you, how would you see it ending in your head? Well, here's the thing, right? I'm wondering you're wondering if something happens if that means something. I don't know I'm getting emotional honestly I'm getting really emotional just thinking about it being over I don't know what's going to happen okay we should probably talk about oh less tense things and weirdly in that case this mean, that means how I live now which is a pretty Still tense pretty less tense. tense thing yeah <laughs> this is a film I actually went into with a very unusual case of knowing nothing about it I haven't read the book for once which I usually have and I hadn't even seen the trailer so oh, okay. um so it's it's a it's not just a sort of a young adult novel. It's not just about a, an American girl Daisy, who's your character, going to visit her cousins. Massive events take place when she gets there. Yeah, they do. Um, well, for one, her and her cousin Eddie fall in love with each other. Yeah, as you do, <laughs> as you do when you go to the English countryside from New York. Yeah, this is the thing: is that you kind of think it's going to go a certain way and kind of go quite a commercial way Mm. and it doesn't and I think the cousin thing does add something a little bit edgy to it but anyway they fall in love um, and he seems to have a very deep understanding of who she is and how she thinks and she's very messed up and she's got a lot of issues and stuff with her dad and herself and then a war breaks out it's left completely ambiguous as to who started this war or this attack or whatever it is. We, yeah, we never, we don't really even know which, really what know. sides are, are no, involved. We don't know, but they're separated. The boys are separated from the girls, and so then it goes on the journey with Daisy and Piper, who's her younger cousin, and them about them trying to get back to the house because Eddie and Daisy promise that they'll come back to the house to be together. Mm. So. I kind of knew, I wasn't sure, but I kind of knew it couldn't really have been like a a, a possible regular run-of-the-mill young adult adaptation because it's got Kevin MacDonald at the helm. Exactly. He doesn't make that sort of film. He doesn't make that sort of film. And we did a Q&A last night and he said that they wanted to make a film that only had like a £5 million budget or whatever it was. It was supposed to be small. Mm. Everything was supposed to be subtle and suggested. And and also just his style of directing as well. I mean, he is a documentary filmmaker and I think started out doing that kind of filmmaking. So he really, he brings that to the film, um, which means that it isn't just a young adult type film. You know, it's it's actually quite realistic. Mm. Cousin Eddie's played by, is his name George McKay? George Mackay. Mackay. Yeah. I thought I'd go for Mackay but I thought nah no it's Mackay <laughs> everyone says Mackay and I get so annoyed because everyone gets my name wrong all the time and mm. I thought you know what that's an easy one what's the weirdest pronunciation you've ever heard of your name there's a few yeah <laughs> there is a few saucy 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 I do, saucy almost saucy saucy source <laughs> saucy say arise is a popular one a lot say of people arise. have gone with that yeah and actually years ago when um 
Atonement came out. I was in LA for the Globes, which got cancelled that year. Lucky for oh, me, yeah. <laughs> um, just my luck. And um, and I was in this shopping mall, which is called the Grove, um, and they have posters all along the the pavement, you know, to which is just kind of typical LA anyway they have a lot of posters for the new films that are coming out and they released this Golden Globe poster of Atonement so they had Keira's name and they had James's name they had both been nominated and then they had Best Supporting Actress Sayerise Ronan <laughs> and they spelt my name wrong on the poster and it was all across oh LA we couldn't believe it it was so funny I don't blame anyone for not being able to remotely understand how to pronounce my name but still yeah. I think once you're told though you know, like when I tell someone it's Sersha, all right, it's Sersha, got it. I'll <laughs> remember that one. Like George like Mackay. Like George Mackay. See, you've got it. Nailed it. He's got three films coming out on the one day, you That's know. That's the spooky thing. I was wondering, this movie's quite bleak uh, in its own way. I mean, it's, at times it isn't, of course, but yeah. Sunshine on Leith is like a bottle rocket full of sugar just yeah. arriving in your ears. It's just, uh, it's the Proclaimers musical, basically. Yeah. Have you seen it? Did he talk about it at all? Uh, yeah, he's talked to me about it and had a great time on it and everything. I haven't seen it yet, um, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. He went straight onto that after. Oh no, he did for those in peril first, which is a film that I'm really looking forward to seeing. And it's um, Paul Wright who directed that one. Um, he's a Scottish director, and then he went on to Sunshine and Leith. So he's been very, very busy over the last while but uh, yeah it's going to be a bit of a Mackay marathon this yeah. Friday Triple Bill yeah tell yeah. me about it I'm sick of him <laughs> sick of seeing his face everywhere no you you do an American accent in this obviously you're brilliant at accents but is it harder doing it around people playing English people because I would pick up whatever is around me so if I was doing an American accent in America assuming I could in the first place I'd be alright but yeah. doing it in England I think would be much more difficult no, it's okay. I mean, I've done the American accent a lot, you know. Yeah. I've done it a good few times and I think the Irish accent in particular... I think the Irish accent reminds people of a lot of other accents. So it's got a bit of Scottish, it's got a bit of American, it's got a bit of... There's something about it that seems to be a mixture, a big kind of melting pot of all these different sounds. No, but I mean, I've been doing it for, for years, you know, so it's not too bad. And I, whenever I'm messing about or anything, I always do an American accent so <laughs> quoting bridesmaids or something you don't have a, a, do you have a trigger word from bridesmaids because I've talked to people like this before and sometimes they'll have a word and that'll get them into brummy or, or whatever it is it could be anything it could be any line from the film one thing that my mum and I say a lot is the scene where uh, they're trying on bridesmaids dresses and there's one for like 800 quid that Rose Byrne's character wants to get and Kristen's the you know she's the maid of honor and she's like yeah okay well that's it's pretty expensive but oh oh what, what what about this one this is you know a lot cheaper and you know you can you can twirl it's got pockets you can spread your legs in them and then melissa what's her McCarthy, name yeah. mccarthy turns around and kind of gives them a big thumbs up and stuff but it could be any scene from that film and i'll quote it for you <laughs> one that i say whenever i go out is i'm ready to party with the best of them <laughs> so i do that a lot wow is that, that your favorite film then yep yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the moment it is I just quote it so much and mm. I watch it if I'm feeling down or something it'll either be Dirty Dancing or Bridesmaids mm. it's comfort at this stage there is so. I, I think I get it wrong but w at the end of the scene you were talking about um, when the bride is running across the road and she has what 
can only be she's described as an accident. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's a delicate way of putting Basically. it. Basically. Basically, yeah. she, she's had a bit of trouble. Uh, I think she says the words, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, she's, and then she's in the car afterwards and she's like, you know, what, what wasn't that bad. I just, I just shit myself. <laughs> I just shit in my shorts. <laughs> I shit in the middle of the street. <laughs> Uh, it's an easily so quotable quote. Funny. <laughs> it's so great. Every scene. I think especially though, the scene on the plane when she's just absolutely out of it mm. and um, the one in the jewellery store oh, when the yeah. girl comes in. Oh, that's so good. You've seen the extended cut of that. There's an extended extra from no! the DVD. It goes on for five to six <gasps> minutes where it's oh them just gosh. throwing shit at each other. She's so good. The, the little kid. girl. Oh, well, not the little girl, but the teenager in it is great. I was wondering, you know, you you have done all sorts, but when are we going to see out and out comedy from you? I feel like it's just around the corner, right? I'd love to do one. Um, I mean, nothing's come up really, but I'd love to do a comedy. I mean, I love comedy more than anything else. I I enjoy watching comedy usually more than anything else. Um, and I've grown up with things like Seinfeld and watching The Three Amigos and Johnny Dangerously and all these really great, you know, American comedies and the British ones as well like Faulty Terrors and Blackadder and stuff um, so we love comedy in our house and just nobody's bloody offered me one have they? Oh, okay <laughs> well this, this, is, this is the plea basically Hollywood if you're listening Hollywood <laughs> Hollywood come a knocking <laughs> you got Hannah I mean that's an action film you got a tournament which is something entirely different surely Joe Wright could spread his wings and go right it's time he for my he should do a comedy I don't know if- knock about musical some kind of I think farce. he'd do a musical. I don't know if he'd do a comedy, though. Mm. Yeah, Maybe, he's... though, I'm setting him a challenge here and he'll, you know. Okay, another call, this time to Joe Wright. So, yeah. <laughs> Joe, is your what's challenge. the story? No, I'd say he'd do a musical, but it would have to be a costume musical because he loves his clothes. He loves his dresses, Joe. <laughs> yeah, he did say one of uh, one of his favourite scenes in Pride and Prejudice was when uh, they're getting ready to, for the ball just because he always wanted to see sort of Regency-era underwear. So, okay, you know, well, there's clearly. a sentence. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, um, speaking of upcoming projects, I mean, there's, there's obviously been talk the last days, a couple of days. You were talking about uh, Star Wars that you have auditioned. We can put that rumor to rest. Yeah, I don't know whether I should have said <laughs> that now. Um, yeah, I did. I mean, everyone did. You know, yeah. everyone has auditioned for it. There's so many people I know that have gone in for the part that I've gone in for, and guys who have gone in for. Um, a particular part so I'd imagine JJ is literally just scanning the earth to find yeah. the people that he needs um, but nobody has a clue what it's about nobody's read the script you know nobody who's kind of directly involved yeah. in it so yeah so I mean I've gone in and read for it but I have to say I think it's the only time where I've ever thought you know what even if I don't get it I had so much fun auditioning and pretending to take out a lightsaber <laughs> out of a bag and kind of inspect it and not know what it is that was that was great yeah, I, a lightsaber. I imagine. Yeah, that's pretty Star cool. Star Wars. <laughs> hey. Will there be any actual, um, you'll know obviously, but in your Wes Anderson movie, will there be much comedy there? Uh, actually, yeah. There will be a bit when I think about it. I mean, there's always a very kind of dry humour in yeah. Wes's films. Um, and yeah, it's a bit, it's kind of very theatrical in a way. And I was I was nervous going into it because I thought... It's a completely different acting style when you're working on Wes's films. And when you see Jason Schwartzman, 
and people like that and even seeing Gwyneth Paltrow doing it like yeah. they do it so well and it looks so natural when they do it and I thought God I'm not going to be able to do that you know but you really get into it and you get into a flow very quickly of what he wants you know it's very clear what he wants and how he wants you to do something you know but yeah that that was quite funny I suppose there's a lot of you know falling out of windows and, and trying to balance stacks of cakes one on top of the other and you know Slapstick stuff. Sounds like slapstick Great British Bake Off. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. That's always been his dream job. That's always <laughs> the film that he's really wanted to make. Great British baby. Bake Off, the movie. <laughs> Boy, Wes Anderson. Who wouldn't see that? How about How to Catch a Monster? Is that what you've just been working on? Or are you just going to work on? Or? That, yeah, that was the last thing that I worked right. on. We finished that in June. And it was written and directed by Ryan Gosling. And there's a cardboard cutout of Ryan. And it's staring at me. There is, and it it's just across the me office. out of it when I can't. It's literally looking right at me. Yeah, that wide-eyed stare doesn't give anything away. No, Ryan's the best, and we all had a great time yeah. doing it. Everyone became really close on that, actually, more so than than usual. I think just we kind of we, because we were in Detroit, mm. and you kind of have to stick together, otherwise you'll be in trouble everyone became really close and we always went out together and did everything together so um, yeah so it was good it's a very kind of weird dark twisted type film okay and Matt Smith's in that not as well, a comedy not a comedy no, no. Um, Matt's in it as well yeah, yeah. Matsky. Are you are you a Who fan I've seen a few episodes of it so yeah <laughs> it's good I mean I never got into it yeah. I never really got into you're Doctor you're the one with a wand aren't you Matt yeah I remember <laughs> yeah 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 I think I remember you you were in that phone box um, <laughs> no I've, I've never really gotten into it but I obviously knew who Matt was and everything yeah. and knew he was a great actor so um, he's got such an amazing face as well he's so um, he brings this amazing energy to a scene, you know. And we had a, a few things together. We have a kind of strange relationship together. He's a very weird, dark character, and he was really great in it. He's cool. really great in it. So I look forward to it. Um, yeah. What what uh, what are you into? What are you reading? Because you've done a lot of films based on books. Yeah. So are you a reader? Or are you a, apart from being a Breaking Bad fan? What's going to replace that hole in your Breaking life? Ma- I don't know. <laughs> I don't I'm know. really worried. I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'm going to have to watch another show. Orange is the New Black is on Netflix and that's yeah, extraordinary. Is it good? It's good, but the first episode kind of hits around the head with it. It's pretty full on, but right. you'll get there. I've heard um, Homeland is just incredible. It's good, but there's a point in the second season where it kind of jumps the shark just a smidge. Oh, really? Because a little bit... Really? Did you actually do that? See, this is the thing about Breaking Bad. It's perfectly balanced. Everything happens when it's supposed to happen, you know, I don't know. I don't know how I'm ever going to match up to that, unless I watch The Sopranos. Unless I just go back and watch The Sopranos. There you go. That'll keep you going. Yeah. And you've seen The Wire. Keep it light. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't seen The Wire. That'll do too. Yeah, I could choose one of those. I guess. Yeah. So, um, but the last thing that I read was Just Kids by Patty Smith to answer your question. All right. Excellent. All right. Well, so Ronan, thank you very much for coming in. And uh, How I Live Now is, as you listen to this, out now. Now, time to find out what waves of movie news have broken on the rocky shores of our consciousness this week. Um, sorry for that, it was National Poetry Day yesterday, so I thought I'd get into it. Uh, so, so why um, didn't you do any po... po-, po- oh, <laughs> burn! Ali, for that you can go first. Okay, I'll take this one. Uh, we have the fourth Chronicle of Narnia will be making its way 
into cinemas eventually we don't know exactly when but after a slightly rocky uh, existence in cinemas it didn't make quite as much money the series as disney would have liked when it was launched back in 2005 with of course the chronicles of narnia prince caspian followed that and then disney said thanks but no thanks we'll we'll leave this uh, to somebody else and so fox and walden media picked it up in 2010 for the voyage of the dawn treader which again didn't quite make the box office return even when they had lower expectations this hasn't stopped the fans of the books who are legion uh, from campaigning and perhaps not necessarily because of the campaigning uh, the team that obviously own the rights to narnia are giving it another crack of the whip and the silver chair which has nothing to do with the australian band of the same name will be turned into a film eventually there's no 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 writer at this point but considering if you put them all together all the films it's 1.6 billion dollars it's not necessarily harry potter levels but still you know nothing it's very respectable i mean the silver chair is uh the bbc did adapt it so we know it can be adapted in theory way back in the 80s early 90s but also it's it's kind of the darker one isn't it it's uh it's a little it's a it's a different narnia it's not quite as cutesy as as some of the films we've seen before so this one is set when Prince Caspian is an old man mm. and his son has gone missing and Eustace and a new friend Jill go to Narnia and have to basically look for the son and they're accompanied by a lanky marsh dweller called Puddle, Puddleglum mm. who is uh, extremely morose and, and very, very negative about everything. So it's almost a reboot because it's a new bunch of characters it's not going to be the same kids again well Eustace was in Voyage of the Dawn Treader he was played there by Will Poulter right okay whether they're going to age him up I don't know I mean he's grown up a lot since uh, anybody who's seen We're the Millers will notice he's he's a big boy now um, uh, but <laughs> it's that age thing again it's not the age thing it is not the age thing if you've watched the film you'll know exactly what ah, I mean but I'm not certainly film, not going okay. to explain it here on the podcast. <laughs> so my one other news story uh, which uh, comes with a, a small element of sadness of course is that Tom Clancy has passed on uh, the Jack Ryan creator was 66 years old when he passed away he's of course best known for writing the Jack Ryan novels but also many 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 others several stories have been turned into video games and he is as a huge military history nut made several military history books mm. so yeah he's a bit of a, a a towering figure in this kind of world and it is very sad to see him go and especially at such a young age a lot of people were making perhaps ill-informed comments that because the jack ryan trailer was uh, released today friday and a poster was released two days ago that somehow this was cashing in on someone's death and I certainly don't think that's the case Helen you've got more details it's not because I mean PR's contacted us the day before uh, Clancy died to say that the poster was coming uh, the following day so we know that they had planned that anyway and I think they just didn't change their plans um, so yeah it, it, in, for anybody worried that Hollywood is really that cynical don't be I think um, but it's no, no, good they, to see they really are just they weren't proved to be in this particular case um, but it's good to see something of the film finally because it's due out in December and, and we hadn't really seen anything up until now it's got a trailer which highlights the action side of things, but I get the impression because uh, K-Dog, Kenneth Branagh, is at the helm that perhaps it won't be quite as action-filled as, as the trailer portrays it. But it's got Chris Pine in it and Kira Knightley, and they're both, I mean, in my book, uh, always worth a watch. But there you go. Jack Ryan mm. will return, and the name of the film is Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit which is joining the increasingly long list of colon, what the hell was that word, <laughs> movies. I still want to see uh, Without Remorse with Willem Dafoe, which was going to happen. It was going to be like a spin-off of Clear and Present Danger. Do you remember? 
No. Yeah, and then they were talking about spinning off John Clark again when uh, Liev Schreiber was in the character. Uh-huh. They've talked about that a few times, and it still doesn't seem quite ready to happen. Willem Dafoe was great in that. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I want to see that. Okay, uh, Nick, what have you got for us? Damn it, Helen, we haven't got much time. Yes, I I bring uh, news, which isn't really news because it kind of uh, was talked about four years ago, but um, 24 is coming to London. Ooh. This was going to happen as a movie back uh, when it was going to be a movie, potentially with um, Tony Scott directing. That didn't happen. Um, But they are bringing Jack uh, Bauer to London uh, for the 12-episode new series of 24, which is called... Yes, Live Another Day, in which uh, Jack Bauer will come to London and beat up beef, t- beef eaters. and Beef up beef eaters. <laughs> I think he'll climb the Big Ben Tower, Westminster Palace Tower, and change it from a analogue to digital, because he can't stand that shit. Is it, is, it, is it cynical to say that this should really be called 24 colon touch got cancelled? Or 24, <laughs> 24 colon 12. Yeah, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm a little bit sceptical. I love 24. When 24 was good was you know it was really good it was really good i loved it um i thought did think it waned in the the last sort of two or three seasons um but i i have hope i'm a little bit uh kind of not sure about the fact that they're they're not doing it in real time i believe are you holding out for a triumphant return of former president logan if logan comes into it that would be amazing i don't know what he'd be doing in london just a holiday it's going on holiday on holiday seeing the queen um, but I don't want to see Wayne Palmer. I, I don't want to see a mole, uh, unless it's a real mole, uh, which is quite possible. Um, I, I just hope it's really good. And they have been working on this idea because they were talking about it back in 2009 with Billy Ray, the writer of Shattered Glass, was working on a script, and uh, they were talking then about having a good idea. Uh, apparently it's going to start in Prague and then move to London. Uh, so it's going to kind of be a cross, cross Europe thing with a big climax in London. So, Is it uh, going to do that in the same way that Fast 6 begins in Russia and moves to London? <laughs> I.e. shoot the whole I, thing it, in London. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, yeah. If, if, if anyone's capable of creating a bigger runway, it's uh, The thing is, lest we forget, this isn't the first 24 movie, is it, really? I don't know what you mean. No, I, I, the one in Sangala. That's right, Yeah, which was obviously in real time and still not good. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't terrible. It just wasn't particularly memorable. But I hope that that was one that they kind of did between seasons and kind of hated, this, so. The thing with that is, I think f- f- basing it in the setting it was based in, it just didn't feel like twenty four. It felt like Tears of the Sun or something. Do you know what I mean? It, it didn't. It wasn't twenty four's natural environment. I think twenty four is about anti terrorism uh, in a built up metropolis. Do you know what I mean? With their little phones that make that excellent ringtone. Um, <laughs> You know, that's what you want from it. I think maybe London is uh, is a good place for it. To do you think he'll now be working for CTUK? Yes, <laughs> I do. GCHQ, um, yeah. That's but right. it's interesting, Keith Sutherland, uh, S- Keith Sutherland said very recently that the, one of the reasons they're moving it to, to London is because he credits England with the fact that 24 got made in the first place. That it didn't do well in America when it started, but it was a huge hit over here. And uh, he, he said in an interview, I don't know whether he's just saying it, but he said that was one of the, the reasons they wanted to, to set it over here. I think they're missing a trick with it being 12 episodes and not calling it 24. I mean, 24? I just, it's got a lovely ring to it. You know, people would talk about it. They'd say, that's a stupid name. Let's watch it. Wow. I think it's time to move on suddenly. Uh, James, how about you? Uh, the news story I have is, is that Phil DeSemin may be right. Really? Which is in itself Never. quite an exciting news story. Uh, only because I think on the podcast a while ago, when uh, when we, or rather I should say you, were discussing um, who should replace Sasha Baron Cohen to play Freddie Mercury, he mooted Dominic Cooper. And uh, according to the font of infallible wisdom and rumour that is the internet, that may indeed be happening. Hmm. So, there you go. That was a good guess. Yeah. I think he's got that swarthy look. It's important for me that he can pull off the tash 
and I know he can grow a good beard, so I'm happy. Nick is Nick now is drawing, drawing a tash on a picture of Dominic Cooper. Mm. What do we think? He looks good. Mm. I think that could work. He'll also have to have lungs of steel because Freddie's range is extraordinary. Whether they'll actually kind of patch in some kind of Freddie impersonator might be worth yeah. giving it a go. He just, well, with moustache, he just looks like Tony Stark's dad. Well, yes. Um, but, but I think this is interesting because I mean, we know he can sing because he did in Mamma Mia. Um, whether he has the range, yeah, that's another question. I mean, uh, as you know, Empire or King Karaoke is um, probably the best voice, actually, of all of us is Sam Toy. Sam has tried Queen songs on occasion. He's nailed them, but he hasn't been able to do anything for the rest of the night. <laughs> so, you know, it's pretty tough going. It does wipe him out. It's like me after Ace of Spades. It's kind of the end of it. It is, but it's worth it, James. Mm. He's a legend. Uh, so we're saying Sam Toy should, in fact, play Freddie Mercury. In we're the saying film. Sam Toy or Dominic Cooper. Sam Toy okay. standing behind Dominic Cooper. Excellent. Okay, I think we've solved this Don't problem. stop him now. <laughs> All right, it's time for another interview now. Uh, James McAvoy is our sort of star. He's a self-confessed geek who's equally at home bending bullets in Wanted or starring in Macbeth on stage. This year alone, he's fought robbers in Welcome to the Punch, played mind games in Trance, and now presents a deeply disturbing look at the police in Filth. The adaptation of Irvin Welsh's novel, this casts McAvoy as Bruce Robertson, a drug-taking, sexual pervert determined to cheat his way to the top of the force. Ali and I asked him all about it. All right, well, welcome to the Empire Podcast. We are joined today by James McAvoy. How are you doing? I'm really good, thank you. Excellent, excellent. So uh, we really enjoyed Filth, first of all. Thanks. Uh, although enjoy is perhaps not quite the right word. It's, uh, it's, something of a, it's something of a tough watch at times, isn't it? Yeah, did you laugh? I did a lot. Yeah. Did you cry? I almost did. Yeah, I was a little bit teary at the end. Heartless wench. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's we, we tried to make something that people would laugh at and also cry at, maybe not too far apart. Yeah. Um, and that people would find at times repellent and yet unable to take their eyes off it. Yeah. Um, and at times feel completely bestial and yet totally filled with humanity in the same moment. Mm. So, you know, whether we achieve all that or not is entirely up to an individual audience member. And some people just go, I can't watch this. We want to make people feel entertained by a big smack in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? An entertaining punch in the face. Have you considered, if you've seen it already, a double bill of this with Sunshine on Leith? I haven't seen Sunshine on Leith. My mate's in it. But um, uh, no, I don't think the Proclaimers and David Soul go together. Yeah, I think so. No. <laughs> We've got David Soul in this film, by the way. Sex, drugs and David Soul. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, you mentioned a beastial sort of nature to it, but you cut the bestiality scene because... Uh... We filmed it. Yeah. Right, um, right, well. but, uh, but And it never got cut because we were worried about it offending anybody, actually. We cut it just because it was five minutes that took us out of the story, basically. Right. It was like a really good episode of... If it was an episodic thing, if it was 30 minutes every week, we'd have had it in. But it just wasn't part of the overall narrative. There's also another sequence in an airport, which on its own was um, like hilarious. But it was like a, it was like it was some other film, do you know yeah. what I mean? So that's why we got those cut. Because there's a lot of people who love the book who wanted to see the dog scene. Um, <laughs> and I swear to you, if you get the DVD, you're going to get it. But yeah, it was just taking us away from that. And it, whilst it was enjoyable, it then made you 10 minutes later yeah. just kind of lag from the story, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Tell me that wasn't the audition scene. I didn't audition for this. I ended up just having a chat, but then halfway through the chat realised that this was my audition. I went, <laughs> oh Christ, this is a nightmare. So what, you've been sitting trying to be charming and nice and then you suddenly realise, no, you've got to go completely the other way? Yeah, but you just go like, oh, you're not offering me the part. Okay, so <laughs> I thought you were. You guys told me you were offering me the part, but I don't have the job and you're not going to make me read for it because 
you don't want to offend me because you think that I'm too big or something like that to audition. <laughs> I'd much rather audition, much easier than chatting my way into the film. And um, so, yeah, I just started to go, oh, God, what do I need to say to make them give me the part? The thing that made me definitely want to watch this film was in the trailer seeing Eddie Marson boogie his arse off. Yeah. What was it like shooting that scene? Because surely you just had to stop and laugh every other minute. It was brilliant. We were on the Reaper Band uh, in Hamburg, which is, I think, the seediest place I've ever been to in my life. I'd say it's probably more seedy than Amsterdam's Red Light District. We were in this, like, what was it? It was like a mixture between a working man's club, a karaoke bar, a hairdressing salon, and a strip joint. It was such a weird, weird place where we were filming that scene. Anyway, uh, but I just remember the entire crew crammed into this tiny, tiny little venue behind the camera watching Eddie go for it and all of us shouting at him to do more and to like twizzle his nipples <laughs> and like stroke his genitalia and all that kind of stuff and it was quite a good laugh actually but Eddie's an amazing actor and in a similar way to that people will probably be surprised at my casting in this role because it's you know against what I've usually played in terms of like probably usually good guys and stuff he plays such a nice naive patsy and you know he's he's well known for playing psychos. So you know we're, we're both playing against type, and I think that's part of the, the enjoyment of it as well. I mean, are you going through a bit of a dark patch at the moment, almost? Because Trance was a much darker film as well. It wasn't quite yeah. as you know irredeemable as as this guy seems at times, but it was you know it was certainly a, a darker role. Yeah, totally. He was an abusive person, but I think also what's really weird is in the last year I've played a lot of people who are mentally ill. The guy in trance is arguably mentally ill. He's been traumatised mentally. Yeah. Welcome you know, to the not... punch is kind of P- PTSD as well. A little bit of PTSD. Less so we welcome to the punch, but yeah, he's definitely got some form of PTSD. But I just played Macbeth as well. And <laughs> if you don't see him as, I don't know, like for me, the only thing I could see him as was mentally ill. Um, he's really mentally ill. <laughs> Certainly by the end of it, he's off his nut. And he's somebody who's suffering from PTSD, I think. Mm. You know. So it's just been a year of, of, of insanity, really. Uh, and then culminating in filth, which is the a real expression of insanity, so much so that the whole film is coloured by his personal journey through insanity. So that's not just depressing and sad and slit your wrist, then that is surreal and fantastical and at times uh, manically vibrant and up and at times, you know, uh, really, really low as well. Mm. But, um, but the, we tried to make the whole film represent what it might be like for him inside. Rather than being a, a, a social realistic sort of depiction of mental illness, it's yeah. more sort of his deluded, fantastical vision of it. So now it's time for Romeo and Juliet 2, right? Sherlock Gnomes. <laughs> Nailed it. It's happening. It's happening? Yeah, I'm not just being glib, that's happening, dude. You were going to be Sherlock, have you got tips from... Uh, no, 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 I'm not Sherlock, I'm not Come Sherlock. Come on, you've got to be. I can't be, I'm Gnomeo, dude. Yeah, but this, I mean, we are talking about talking gnomes here, surely there could be some crossover. I think you're 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 messing with the mythology and uh, and the I'm history. Messing with the you're messing with their mythology, dude. I heard that term first used by Christian Bale when he was talking about Terminator. He said, "I love the mythology of this." I thought, "I'm keeping that for no and Julian." <laughs> That's in the bag. I was lucky enough to be at Comic Con uh, when we had the enormous row of you. I, know, yeah. I did a panoramic shot of everyone from X Men: Days of Future Past, and my phone broke. No, it didn't. It, didn't really, <laughs> it, it could have done. And you were wearing. One of the best T-shirts I've seen in a long time. Thank you very much. That 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 X and then the yeah Beast and everything on it, not Beast. Um, I call it. But and I'm on it. 
And you all got that money. Do you know why I got it? Because it's the only Professor X t-shirt I could find that wasn't really? green. Yeah. There was a, there's another Professor X t-shirt that you can get online and stuff, but it's green. But, um, but I found that at Comic-Con, and I thought, because uh, I put on a mask in the morning, and we walked around, me and Nick Holt went... Uh, What's your mask? It was uh, it was sort of like a kind of Mad Max Road Warrior thing that just went over my nose and my mouth and my ears, okay, but it yeah. kind of left up here. It's ever so slightly banish, actually. Yeah. Uh, so we just wandered about doing that. And uh, Bane voice at the same time. Oh, uh, I didn't. Uh, that was that was a proper giggle. So I thought I've come all the way to San Diego from Montreal. I can't not check out the floor of this amazing collection of beautiful, beautiful geeks. And it was brilliant. But anyway, that's where I finally managed to land my Professor X T-shirt. Because it's always like the cool guys with the claws and the cool guys with the, I can move metal, man. And it's like the guy that can touch his temples and know, what you, <laughs> know if you take two lumps of sugar or none. He doesn't really make it on it in many T-shirts. So when I found one with all Profi X on it, I was very, very pleased. Now, you are a, a self-confessed geek, right? I mean, you, you said, I'm, I think the very first time I ever saw you was at a Narnia press conference <laughs> and you were saying that the three roles you always wanted to play were, was it Paul Atreides? And yeah, Dr. Uh, Mr. Tumnus. Leto, uh, Leto, uh, Leto. Oh, no, 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 it was Paul Atreides, yeah. but I ended up playing Leto, oh, who's his son. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Mr. Tumnus and Sam Gamgee. So two out of three ain't bad. I would have loved to play Samwise Gamgee. Totally. Uh, although somebody, somebody described himself as, as Samwise Ganja the other day, which I thought was really good. Uh, maybe I'd like to play Samwise Ganja in a kind of psychedelic retelling of The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Samwise Gamgee was like one of my favourite literary characters and Mr. Tumnus also from yeah. when I was really young though. And I got to play him, I was made up and I got to play Paul Atreides' son. So yeah, I'm a, yeah, I'm a sci-fi and fantasy uh, enthusiast. enthusiast. Used to be fanatic, now an enthusiast. Okay, so what, what, do you, what have you been reading or watching nowadays or do you just not have time anymore? I don't have a hell of a lot of time anymore but I have been, I've watched a bit of telly. I watch more telly than anything else at the moment because you can just grab a quick... 45 minutes yeah. of an episode of something. Battlestar Galactica, which I finished a while ago, which I loved, absolutely, you know, compulsively viewed that. And um, and I've really gotten into The Walking Dead, which is it's good because it's zombies and all that kind of stuff. But Andrew Lincoln's brilliant in it. He's really sort of, it's the best it's ever been. But also, it's like all the kind of, what seems like just sort of zeitgeisty, teenage kind of, all zombies and all that kind of stuff. But actually, at times, it's a really good investigation into post-apocalyptic survival. And most of it's not actually action. It's just like sitting on someone's face, watching... Sitting on someone's face? (laughs) The camera resting on someone's face. It's filth. It's the camera resting on Andrew Lincoln's face, really trying to... Watching him just wrestle with a decision that he's got to make. And that's... I don't know. It's kind of beautiful. Uh, This is a bit of an odd one, but I see you going to the Star Wars audition. Did you go for one? Can you tell us about it? I have not auditioned for Star oh, Wars. Man. Something is rotten in the state of equity. <laughs> I'm telling you. No, although I uh, have just been working with one of the writers of the, the new series, uh, Simon Kinberg, and, um, you know, slept in my couple of coffees, felt his bum a wee bit, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, any chance, big man? So, yeah, I've put in my work. Yeah, well, I'd like to know more about Simon Kinberg because he's kind of got keys to the castle right now. He's, he's in everything. Yeah, he's yeah. redoing Fantastic Four as well now. He's... And he's a great guy. He is. He's so smart thematically and structurally. He just. He knows. He knows how to make these things work. And he's a great guy to work with. I had a great time working on X Men, the first one and the second one with him. Well, not the first one, but our first one with the new guys. Um, uh, and we got to work even more closely on uh, Days of Future Past. And he was just a fantastic guy. It's a film that needs a writer on set. I'm uh, getting the impression. Well, when you've got that big a story and that many cast members. 
you need to you need to orchestrate it well. Uh, and that's going to happen in editing as well, and that's going to happen probably with pickups because every single movie you do, whether it's a big one or a small one, they always have some kind of additional footage shot, you know. But even better is to do it on the day. And uh, and you always get on set and you find stuff that works great on the page, doesn't work well on screen, and then you get halfway through the filming and you go like... That stuff that we changed four weeks ago with that scene doesn't work for that character now, but we still need them to come up and really have their time here, but we need to change it. And So you need somebody like Simon who can work fast, who can be insightful and uh, get to the core of what the script needs really quick. And he's just amazing, really. Mm. To watch him problem solve as we went was incredible. Uh, now, uh, Peter Dinklage was actually quoted just this week basically kind of saying his character isn't really a villain, that he's just ambitious. Um, is lying. that is that how it seems from your point of view? <laughs> um, well, you know, I think you know, villainy has to be inspired by something, whether it's ambition or malevolence, just natural malevolence, or um, I don't know, like I need to be loved, or uh, I never got hugged by my mum, or whatever it is. Uh, there's justifications for all sorts of villainy, but if ambition's his justification for villainy, it's still villainy to me. Bolivar Trask can. Suck my mutant, you know what? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we talked to Daniel Radcliffe a couple of weeks ago about uh, Frankenstein a wee bit, and that's sounding really intriguing. Yeah, I think so. It's a big old sort of adventure uh, with the kind of backbone of of the relationship between me and him. Mm. Kind of, and the same as all sort of buddy movies are. They're really about people who come from different parents but who become brothers. You know what I mean? And there's definitely that's what it's about. I think for yeah. us. Uh, and I'm really excited about doing that with him because he's brilliant and he's one of the nicest chaps working. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that develops um, along the way with also having so much sort of... There's a bit of action in it, there's adventure in it and there's some good old-fashioned kind of things we haven't seen on screen in a long time as well with, with your Frankenstein's monster and your your pitchforks and your lanterns and, oh, and all that. Good. But hopefully, you know, showing it paying homage to the classical images you have from Frankenstein, but also slanting them a little bit. But I think the relationship between me and him is the thing that slants it, because it's not just about Victor's sort of maniacal lust to create life. It's also about two men connecting. Yeah. You know I mean? That's that's good. That matches up with what he said. So, oh, really? Uh, so yeah, you're on. Thank the same God page. for that. <laughs> <laughs> and have you get, got any more plans to do stage? Because I saw Macbeth. I thought it was terrific. But uh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I love doing that. Um, I got really sad the other night just thinking about Macbeth and thinking, shit, I'll never do that again. You know. Um, yeah, I do uh, have plans to do some more uh, stage work. Maybe next year, at the very latest, the year after, okay. uh, and a wee bit more Shakespeare. I think maybe. Cool. What, what what roles are you still at? Can he tell you? Okay, fair um, because uh, we haven't sort of nailed it down, me and the director. But, um, but getting yeah. the rights to Shakespeare and stuff like that. Getting the rights to Shakespeare is a nightmare. So much money. I know. <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much. Uh, Filth, as you'd listen to this, is out today. So go check it out. Go and see it. Thank you, guys. Stomach. <laughs> hey, no, don't see that. Can I say something okay. as well? Like, so many reviewers have said, like, it's amazing, it's great, you know, blah, blah, blah. you know, just don't go if you're, if you're easily offended and all that. The amount of people we've had that have said, like, I would never usually sit through a film like that and I loved it. So it's like, even if you're easily offended, even if you've not got a strong stomach, go and see it because we'll make you like it. Fair enough. All right. Thank you. I take it back. Cheers. Right, time for reviews now. Given that we've just spoken to James McAvoy, it seems appropriate to begin with filth. What did we think of the mad, bad and dangerous to know Bruce? This is 
quite something. <laughs> it's a good film, but don't go in expecting some kind of SpongeBob kiddie movie. This is called Filth and it means it. It really does. I mean, the thing is, what's funny is there's actual animation in here. I mean, because as, as McAvoy says, it's about a guy losing his mind. Um, he's going completely off the edge, whether the drugs, the drink, the sex, you know, there's something clearly wrong with his marriage. It's not quite clear initially what that is, but something is, is clearly very rotten in the state of Denmark, to quote another Shakespeare play that he wasn't in. Um, you know, it's it's some seriously weird stuff, but absolutely brilliantly done and really, really funny, right? The trailer is a pretty good indication of what you're letting yourself in for. It is cut very quickly and you see these flashes of absurdity. In the, in the R-rated red band trailer, you'll see James McAvoy photocopy his junk and then go enlarge, 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 enlarge. So much so that the person that he's with, the lady who's in the room where they are inspecting these inspectable photocopies, is so impressed that the, that she decides to... Try it out. Try it out. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> and uh, there's a great bit in the trailer where she just pulls a face of... Is that it? Um, so it's it's a movie that has that kind of scene. Do not watch with mother. But uh, <laughs> as we mentioned in the interview, Eddie Marson is a is a real treat for me in this. He is typically being an absolute monster in films, but here he is kind of a patsy. He's a he's a sweet but entirely lovable uh, Wally, <laughs> who at one point dances and plays with his nipples and it's 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 that kind of film it's the kind of film where Eddie Marson twiddles with his nipples as he dances on the dance floor <laughs> and, and I don't think we need to say anything more but we will anyway no it's it, honestly great I mean the, the first half of the film is basically uh, Robertson just setting up playing everyone around him and and the second half of the film it begins to fall apart a little bit on him and it's sort of him scrambling to, to keep things together but honestly McAvoy's brilliant I think he brings a real kind of humanity to the character which isn't really there in the book at times. I mean, the book is, I think, if anything, you know, sometimes it's the other way around on screen. But in this case, the book almost um, paints him as kind of irredeemably just lost and and disastrous and borderline evil. And the film actually, just because James McAvoy is James McAvoy, I think, gives him a little bit more kind of dimension. So honestly, we give this four stars. That's a that's a big recommendation from from Empire. Next up, let's have a look at one of this week's many films to star new British actor George Mackay. How I Live Now has Saoirse Ronan as an American girl spending the summer in England when a war breaks out. So what did we think of this? I I don't know if the word is to say enjoyed How I Live Now. I don't think anyone enjoys it. You endure it. But it's 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 quite nicely put together. I've not read the young adult book that it's based on. Uh, a slightly near-futuristic tale in that it's set in the UK and a non-specific, I think they mentioned terrorist-based enemy, invade the country and start tearing the place up. Uh, Saoirse Ronan is uh, an American girl who's staying with her family. And whereabouts in England is it? Do we know? It's Dorset, I think, that kind of neck of the woods. Yeah, so she turns up there, sort of feels falls in love with the kind of bucolic lifestyle, only to have the army come and whisk them all away so that they're uh, they're safe from the uh, invading enemy, and she gets separated from them and has to find her way back. But I think the issue with it, it's a very very bleak film. It's it's bleak in its portrayal of our immediate political future. Bleak somewhat in its portrayal of human nature as well. Like there aren't a lot of redeeming characters in it. She grows on you, although she starts a little unlikable. Um, but it seems everyone they meet is either a little bit rapey or a little bit unpleasant. There's a real lack of, I think, human kindness in this film. Did oh, you find I th- that? I think that's really harsh. Really? Yeah. Maybe I'm sort of bringing too much of my own views to <laughs> this film. But, you know, I think, I mean, on the other hand, you've got the fact that, you know, it is. it does portray this kind of idyllic summer. I mean, when, when it's just them at home on this farm, it's an absolutely kind of 
golden oh, it's Thomas Hardy, isn't view, it? It's, yeah, yeah, view of 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 the world. Um, Anna Chancellor is there as she's she plays Saoirse's aunt, and she is clearly working very very hard to try and ensure peace at the beginning of the film. Um, spoiler: she doesn't. <laughs> um, you know, and and the cousins themselves are actually a really nice bunch of people, and. I don't know. I mean, yeah, in war, some bad things happen. But, I mean, she... she, And it's not just her trying to get back on her own. She's with her younger girl cousins. The boys have been taken off to be recruited as soldiers or something. But So she's looking after her her younger cousin and trying to get her home. And so there's a relationship between the two of them. And I think think you're being well harsh. I think it's quite quite warming. It put me through the ringer a little bit, actually, this film did. It's... um, there, there's some interesting parts to it I think that weren't explored I think the most Im- important part for me is that there will officially still be dairy milk after the military apocalypse and I think that's an important thing that we very all know inc- Dairy, uh, chocolate know. I should point out I mean chocolate not actually you know milk uh, I think we should also point out that Saoirse Ronan who I still think should be given Oscars everywhere I think she's fantastic she I, is very good I think it? if she doesn't at some point if I could go into Ladbrokes and say right now I'd like to at some point bet that this young lady will, will get more than one Oscar I'd bet it now. I'd put 50 quid on it because she is so good on screen. And as we heard in the podcast interview, can do accents, any accent, just immediately, straight away. She's so good. And she embodies this role of, this role of Elizabeth, this uh, very difficult, upset, angry young girl from America so well. She calls herself Daisy. I'm Daisy. And she, she, she really is such a great screen presence. And I just can't wait to see how career develops and what else she gets mm. up to. You know, we talked about Wes Anderson's uh, new movie, which is called Grand Bucharest Hotel, Budapest. Budapest. That's Budapest. And I can't wait to see her on that, especially she was talking about falling out of windows and stuff like that. So we'll get to see our comic side. If you find her an intriguing presence on screen, uh, suggest you you check this one out. Mm. Do you not think she'd make an excellent elf? Yes, in fact, she was down to play an elf in the Hobbit trilogy. Then a duology and unfortunately she decided that she wanted to do more than just one thing because she, she thought it would just take a whole year to do and she wanted to do other things so instead she did the host and that didn't quite work out as well as she wanted it to well let's draw a veil um, props as well to Mackay we're going to come across him again uh, in a minute okay so How I Live Now got three stars which is a recommendation um, and it's time to end on a cheery note with a musical based on the works of the Proclaimers um, and directed by the also cheery Dexter Fletcher, starring Peter Mullen and again George Mackay. What's our take on Sunshine on Leaf? A thumbs up, a big, cheery, lovely, smiley thumbs up. It is, as you'd expect, quite cheesy. This is a movie that's based on the Proclaimers music and I am not necessarily a very big fan of the Proclaimers. I don't know them that well, but it turns out, I, I didn't know this, that they have about 14 crackers that I just hadn't been introduced to. So for me, hearing, you know, I'm on my way and a whole bunch of others was just a real treat because it was just new for me. And Dexter Fletcher, we're obviously big fans of him and we're so glad to have him on the podcast because he's just a fantastic person to talk to, as of course is his best mate, Jason Fleming, who came in with him for his previous movie, Wild Bill, which is somewhat different to this one. Uh, (laughs) This one is, people call it a jukebox musical, but it's not. A jukebox musical is when it's a variety of different songs that kind of put together a la... Uh, that Tom Cruise um, movie that was also a stage show, Rock of Ages. Uh, This is just The Proclaimers, and it features Peter Mullen doing an amazing uh, Tom Waits impersonation as as he he does his thing. But anyway, the plot. The plot is about these two squaddies who come back from Afghanistan, uh, the two Scottish squaddies that come back uh, to Edinburgh, and they're like, look, I think we've we've had enough of, of the army life, and we need to just, you know, get on get on with our lives uh, unfortunately the loves that they find and the loves that they thought they had are are, are are kind of not working out the way they'd want 
and uh, it is essentially a game I know this sounds a little bit like damning with faint praise but it's a game of how can you fit somebody how can you make someone go 500 miles away how can you make a letter be sent from America conceivably because if you know at least a couple of tracks you are kind of waiting for them to fit them in <laughs> uh, so there's that but it's all well sung and it's it's entirely within the world they'll just be talking walking down the street and they're singing it's that kind of movie uh, but it is a big smiley silly film and if you find that kind of musical that kind of Mamma Mia style thing not to your taste then don't watch it but if this does you know make you stamp your feet in a positive way in the cinema then do because Hector Fletcher has really pulled out just a fun film your mum will love this is what I'm saying it's, it's just kind of a, a fun silly muck mamma mia as people are calling it muck mamma mia very good so we gave that three stars right that's correct and it is a recommendation absolutely okay um, also out this week there's a heck of a lot of films out this week uh, there is uh, Matthew Fox uh, in Emperor which is set post World War 2 in Japan uh, he came in last week to talk about that that got two stars in the end um, also out this week uh, Aubrey Plaza plans to gain some sexual experience in the to-do list which also got two stars Mark Ruffalo and Gwyneth Paltrow say thanks for sharing in a story about sex addiction which got three stars and just when it all threatened to get a bit, bit sexual, Folia Deux brings us a slightly more clothed story of a British mother and her attempts to open a grand hotel from an old country house. That got three stars as well. George Mackay crops up for the third time this week in For Those in Peril, which is about a doomed fishing expedition, and got three stars, while Japanese comic adaptation Rorori Kenshin got two. Don't forget, these are all up on the Empire Online website. If you want to find out more about them, you can read the reviews in detail. Also, Blue Jasmine is still out in cinemas, and that's a five-star movie. Absolutely. And that's it for this week's Empire podcast. You can join us next week for more film-related fun, when we will be learning classified information from Agent Carter herself, Hayley Atwell, asking Douglas Booth where for art thou Romeo, as he stars in the new Romeo and Juliet, and chatting to Gareth Evans about VHS2 and the Raid sequel. Until then, it's goodbye from Ali... Goodbye now. Goodbye from Nick. Damn it. Goodbye from James. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off home to Matt Damon. <laughs>